Psalm 121. I will raise my eyes to the mountain. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who watches over you and will not slumber. Behold, he watches over Israel, will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not beat down on you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time and forever. Uh, welcome. I uh, apologize. That song and the one that's coming, I can't help but get. Uh, it's, it's, we'll get into it. Music is just an amazing thing. Um, and it, that song is just, you know, um, anyway, we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I tried to tell Dennis I wouldn't cry because he, he's one of those sympathy criers. He cries when you cry, you know, so, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome. Uh, welcome everybody online. Uh, most of you know, my name's Eric Birch. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, obviously, today we're going to be looking at Psalm 121, right? Um, amazing psalm. Um, and as usual, I'm going to give some little context in history. It's kind of what I do. And, and uh, the, um, so Psalm 121 is a part of a group of psalms called the Song of Ascents, i.e. climbing, right? And it goes Psalm 120 through 134. There's 15 of them, the Psalms of Ascent. Um, and there's several thoughts about what does it actually mean, the, the ascents. So first of all, realize that the word ascents is, is, is a common Hebrew word that also means stairs or steps, climbing, that sort of thought process. And so some believe that the group of Psalms refers to the 15 steps that's in the choir chamber of the temple. Okay? Not a lot of people buy into that, but that's one theory. Another theory notes that in the book of Ezra, that exiles returning from uh, Babylon to Jerusalem were said to be coming up to Jerusalem, right? So they're returning to the homeland, right? So that's um, a pretty popular thought. Um, and realize that the land we think of as Palestine has had many rulers. Um, obviously, during the early Christian times, it was the Romans, but they've been run over by all sorts of folks. And from 1517 to 1917, it was the Ottoman Empire. Um, and if you remember your history, the Balfour Agreement that happened during World War I managed to get a piece of land set aside um, for the Jews in Palestine. Um, and of course, in 1948, they actually became the nation of Israel. Um, but the important part there, other than the history lesson, is that through all these captivities and whatnot, Jews were scattered all over the world. Um, and when the... the um, when the Ottoman Empire started falling apart, Jews started returning back to what we consider Palestine today. Um, and so the, um, the first large-scale return began in 1882. And if you look in Jewish history, in other words, if you're reading a, a, a Jewish history text, it will reference that process as a coming up. They're ascending from where they are to Jerusalem, to Palestine, they're returning. And so there were five major waves that occurred through that time period. Um, and of course, since 1948, they've been returning 
Um, although it's really interesting to know the largest population of Jewish people is in the United States. Um, it's, it's, um, some people just don't want to leave, so it's, it's good. Um, I like it here too. Um, so anyway, we'll get back to it. The, uh, so the most common interpretation is that it references the process of pilgrims going up to Jerusalem to worship at the temple during the great festivals. Right? So if you recall in Jewish tradition, they had all these festivals, Feast of Tabernacles and Passover and all these things. And so they would sing as they went up to the, the, the temple. Right? And so they had these psalms of ascent, and of course the psalms are songs, and they would sing these as they were going um, up the hill. All right, so all 15 psalms are very much like each other. They're relatively short. They have repetition in them, um, and they um, are kind of have sort of interesting parables in them, and they really talk about the love of God. Um, and that's the part that, that um, you know, in the song we just sang, that, that, that is, um, you know, it's just amazing. Um, I won't go there because I'll start crying again. But <coughs> anyway, um, <laughs> the, um, so anyway, that's the approach we're going to take. We're going to look at this psalm relative to the fact that um, the um, Jews were exiled to Babylon um, and then returned in around 445 B.C. And if you remember the story that happened there, right, Nehemiah was um, in uh, King Artaxerxes' um, court, and he was the cupbearer. Now, cupbearer is an interesting position, right? Because your job is to make sure that no one's poisoning the king. And the way you find out if someone's poisoning the king is you die. Um, and so it's kind of an interesting business. But the other side of it, of course, is that you're there with the king all the time, right? So again, really interesting time. And so um, Nehemiah, you know, asks the king, hey, can I go back and rebuild Jerusalem? And he says, okay, as long as you promise to come back, you can go. So anyway, um, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are back in Jerusalem. They rebuild Jerusalem, and they put the walls up, um, and they're able to once again worship in the temple. Um, and so the idea is that this, the very time, the first time that these songs were sung was during that time that they rebuilt the temple and now had the walls of Jerusalem around them again, um, and it was kind of like this big celebration that, hey, we got it all back together again. All right, so... Um, Again, Psalm 121, probably the best known of all psalms. It's pretty close to maybe uh, Psalm 23, but the, um, it's, it's a very popular uh, psalm. And of course, there's many, many songs that are written. I mean, we're going to sing two. We just sang one. We're going to sing another one later. Uh, but there's a lot of songs that have been written on uh, Psalm 121. Because um, it reminds us of God's constant presence with all human beings. Um, in fact, everything that was created night and day throughout time, God has been with us. Um, and it's really interesting because the God of Christianity is a very different God than the God of most other religions, right? Our God is eminent, which means he is with us. Yeah, he has all the other powers, you know, he's omnipresent and omnip all these other really omnis that are cool, but the, he's eminent, he's there, he's with you. If you feel God's not with you, you probably need to turn around and look because he's there. He's always there. Um, and that's really what makes the God of Christianity so different, um, is that he's with us always. Um, and that's what this, this psalm celebrates. Um, now, God's presence is here both in judgment and in blessing. 
and it kind of depends on where you're walking as to which one of those you benefit from. Um, clearly, if you're living in defiance of God's purpose, that is, you're living in sin and you're, um, you're, you're trying to muddy the truth, then you're probably going to have to be concerned that there's a God that has spends all of his time with you, that he knows everything that you do. Um, it's interesting we talk about confession uh, and repentance. It's so you remind yourself. God already knows. It's not like you're telling him something he doesn't already know. He's been with you through it all. Um, and so it's you acknowledging that you kind of went away and, and that you did something you shouldn't have done and that you're coming back, right? So he's with you. So again, if you live in defiance of God, yeah, his fact that he's with you all the time should scare you because um, that's, you know, he's got, the judgment is coming. Um, but that's not who this, this psalm is. This psalm is written by someone who welcomes God, right? Who rejoices in his presence, that God is with him, um, and not because he doesn't feel that there's anything that he should forgive for, but precisely because he understands his need for God, right? Because we all know that we all struggle. And the only way we're going to get that strength, that support, is by putting our trust and faith in God, right? We can't do this on our own, and that's what this is about. We are not by ourselves. All right, so the first question I'm going to ask is, from where does my help come? So the psalm starts um, with a personal statement of distress. I will raise my eyes to the mountain. From where will my help come? So interesting in this verse is I and my are both singular. Okay? They are personal. They are the person singing is saying, where will my help come from? And it's interesting because as you go through the rest of the verses in 3 through 8, it's all you and your, right? It's plural. Um, so if you think of it as a group climbing a hill and singing, in a sense, it's a question of distress and then an answer by the group. Where will my help come from? My help comes from, and then they answer where that help comes from and what type of help that is. So it's really kind of an interesting way to sing it. Um, so this song is, is um, personal and yet applicable to a group, right? And we think of that as we live as a body, right? Because we support each other. Um, you know, the, the story of, you know, a rope of many threads is a strong thread. A single thread can be easily broken. But when you put a bunch of ropes, uh, threads together, it's strong. And that's what we are. We're each other's threads. So those times that we're struggling, those times that we're having difficulty, we can hang on to each other. God will lift us up. Um, so it's really, again, like I said, this is just a really cool psalm. Um, all right, so verse 1 and 2 again. I will raise my eyes to the mountains. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, we look at this and we ask ourselves, what is the mountains? What do we talk about when we think the mountains? And there's, there's a number of different opinions on this one. Here's where I'm going with it. Um, mountains can be either a menace or a refuge. Um, if you think about it, right, mountains can contain all sorts of um, evil from outlaws and bandits and other scary people, as well as wild animals. You know, there's bears and, you know, lions and tigers, oh my. Um, and so... <laughs> There's scary things that are up in the mountains, but it's also refuge, right? If you remember David, right? He was up in the mountains hiding in the caves. So there's mountains are both. Um, so it can also be a safe place to hide. So 
But what is the psalmist trying to suggest here with the mountains? Okay, so recall that the mountaintops were used by pagan cultures to build their high places. So when you think of Asherah poles and Baal and all these other groups, they were big on creating these high places. And again, remember the history that the Jews were gathered from um, Israel, taken to Babylon, and then the Babylonians replaced the Jews because they still wanted the land to be used. They replaced the land with all these pagan cultures. So there was, the mountains were full of these high places built by all these various pagan people, right? And so the, um, especially during that, that time period. Um, and so in a multicultural society like that, it's very similar to the one we live in now. Um, we find ourselves in all sorts of high places. People have all sorts of solutions. They think that they can fix this or fix that in something that isn't what we believe our God of the Bible teaches us, right? And the same thing is true with them. So they had, you know, gods that they would pray to that would solve their problems or bring crops or do this or do that, and that was their solution to all these problems, right? Um, so on the other hand, Nehemiah, who's currently exiled in Babylon, um, knows that's not where the power comes from, right? So, but he, he wants to go back um, and he's living in this, this, you know, Persia is a very godless place. Um, and so he is, he is kind of by himself um, in the sense that the exiles are the only piece of, of Jerusalem. And, and the story, we won't get into because we don't have time, but a lot of the Jews that were exiled in Babylon kind of went the way of Babylon. Um, only a remnant, you, know, you will see that term regularly in the scripture, a remnant was saved. Um, and that's used a number of times. Again, like I said, we don't have time to go there. Um, and again, this isn't a history class. So um, anyway, we're going to go to Nehemiah uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, Then the king said to me, again, this is Nehemiah to talking to King Artaxerxes, um, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, If it pleases the king and your servant has found favor before you, I request that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. So, Nehemiah, knowing that the God of heaven is what controls everything, and it gives him the courage to go to King Artaxerxes and ask for permission to leave. Um, and again, if you recall the story, King Artaxerxes is like, I'm not going to let you go. You're my favorite cupbearer. Um, he's like, okay, I promised to come back. Um, and then, of course, they get, you know, King Artaxerxes is like, okay, what do you need? Oh, I'm going to need wood, I'm going to need this. And so he sends out letters to everybody saying, hey, you need to support these people while they rebuild Jerusalem. Because once they get done, I get my Nehemiah back. So we need to get this thing knocked out. Um, and so the, but, but um, Nehemiah has this courage that God gives him to go to King Artaxerxes. Because remember that to be in the king's court and have a sad countenance um, will get you killed, right? Uh, is it Esther, I think? I was going to mix up my heroines. Uh, Esther, who had to go before the king and, and with the whole thing with Mordecai and all that kind of stuff. I think it was Esther. Uh, same thing. You know, you don't want to have the wrong countenance, you know, because it gets you killed, right? And so they had to have the courage, and God gave them the courage because they know God was with them. Um, they were doing what God told them to do. Um, all right, so 
So God then um, put Nehemiah in the exact right place to be able to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. So again, we look at this in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 is a question. I will raise my eyes to the mountains. From where will my help come? And verse 2 is the answer. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Does my help come from the mountains? No, the help doesn't come from the mountains. It comes from God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And we think about it, God made the universe. Every time that someone thinks they found the end of the universe, they found out it keeps going. Um, it's bigger than big we can imagine. Um, there's a cool video where it keeps walking away from earth by like a magnitude, and they go away trillions and trillions of miles, and there's still universe, right? And he made everything. I was, we were watching a show the other day about all this bacteria living in these lakes under Antarctica under huge pressure and that they have adapted through this whole process. God knows about those too. He knows about everything. He created everything. Um, and so we ask ourselves, well, can God help me? Oh, God, give me a break. <laughs> he did all this and you wonder if he can help you? I mean, he's God, right? And so that's the thing is my answer, my help comes from the Lord. He did everything. He can do everything now, right? Um, and Nehemiah knows that. He knows that he can count on the Lord in times of trouble, um, and there's no other reliable source. He serves a God that cares about us personally. To me, that's just an amazing thing, that we have a God who knows every one of us. You've know, you got to think about, I mean, one of those terms, right? Omnipresence. God is present everywhere. You don't have to go up to somebody like, well, we invite God into our, no, God's already here. We showed up. He's been here. You know, he's everywhere. And so we don't have to invite him here. He's already here. Um, and if you look from someplace else, it's a waste of effort. If you're trying to believe something else is going to give you that kind of help, you're just wasting your time. You know, and we see it today in our society, people putting their hope in all sorts of odd things. You know, I, we had something with someone that was into tarot cards, and I was just like, you know, don't even bring them in my house. Um, all right. So we can lift up our eyes with hope, expectancy, desire, and confidence because we know God's got this. Now, it's important to understand that there's an other side to this, right? Satan's goal is to distract you and make you focus on your struggles and on your hardships and all the things that aren't going well. Satan's biggest power is to knock you off track. Because if you're busy, squad, you, you know, caught up in your problems, then you're not doing God's work. And so he wants to get you distracted and caught up in your struggles. You know? And so I tell young people, it's really important that you surrender early in your life. The sooner you surrender, the better off it's going to get. Um, if you wait for a long time, you're going to go through a lot of stuff before it gets better. Um, and it's because once we've learned to surrender, when Satan starts to bring it, oh, but this is happening, and, and we see it all, there's health issues, job issues, marriage issues, etc. and you, hey, God, you got this. Once you learn that's the solution, life gets a lot easier. Uh, it doesn't mean that it gets easier in the sense that problems don't come up, but it gets easier because you're not the one trying to fix them. You know, you've got God on your side helping you out, and that's really an important piece of that. Um, and we understand that the purpose of God, his divine attributes, his immutable processes, the covenant he's established, the way he orders all things. Anybody that's an engineer knows that this amazing logical world we live in. 
um, that God built an incredibly logical world. Um, the providence, the fact that he guides what's going on, we don't surprise him. You know, it's not like, oh gosh, I'm sorry, God, I probably started you with that one. No, you didn't. Um, <laughs> he knows everything. Um, but that's the Lord that we lift our eyes to. It's an amazing thing, right? All right, now we're going to transition to that part of the Psalms that's sort of an affirmation of what all the pilgrims walking up to Jerusalem knew and what we also know as believers in Jesus Christ. So the second question is, how are we helped? So we'll pick it up at verse 3 to 5. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Behold, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your protection. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So what does the help look like that comes from the Lord? Well, once again, our English translation kind of lets us down. So twice in verse 3 and 5, Yahweh, the holiest name to the Hebrews, is translated as Lord, right? So understand that when he says that um, the Lord is your protector, he's saying Yahweh is your protector. Um, and then three times he is called the one who watches over. A good English now would be guardian, right? He's making sure bad things don't happen to you. He's your guardian, right? All right. And then the other thing that's really important to understand is that there are five times he says either you or your. So remember in verse 1 and 2, it was I and my. Now it's you and your, right? So he doesn't allow your foot to slip. He watches over you, you know. All right. Um, and as Dan pointed out in uh, early on when we started the Psalms, Psalms do that. They have this repetition where they say the same thing kind of in a different way, but they, say, they repeat that, th what they're trying to say. Uh, and so we see that here. He watches over you. He watches over Israel. He neither slumbers nor sleeps, um, you know, etc. Um, so again, he who watches over us does not sleep. He who watches over Israel doesn't sleep. Um, and in these verses, we really have both a temporal and an eternal side, right? Because the watching over us is not only while we're here, but then we get to be there eternally. So he's watching us over this entire time frame of our existence, um, which is really kind of cool. Um, all right. So again, the pilgrims are walking up the hill and God won't let their feet slip. Uh, but realize they're living a very different life than the folks around them. One of the big problems that they had was slipping into these pagan habitats, right? You remember the, um, they had, the men had married all these women that were not Jewish. They had all these other religions. And the answer was divorce them because you're going to be led in the wrong direction. If you ever want proof of that, read, you know, look at Solomon. You know, they had what? 300 wives and 700 concubines, and he lost his way. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, so, but realize that, that, so they're saying, hey, 
you know, don't slip, not just slip going up the hill, but don't slip into these pagan temptations. Don't go their way. Don't, don't go to the mountains looking for stuff, right? Um, so, again, if you keep your eyes upon God, you will not slip. You won't slip on the hill, but you also won't slip into these bad behaviors. Um, and then we have a God that doesn't sleep. We have a God who's there whenever. When you're crying at two in the morning because something terrible has happened, he's there, he's with you. You don't have to ask him, hey, wake up, I gotta talk to you. One of my favorite parts of scripture um, is it found in uh, 1 Kings, starting in chapter 18 and verse 20. So in this section, Elijah is having a contest against the prophets of Baal. So if you remember this story, Right, Elijah, poor guy's running around, everybody's trying to kill him, he's dealing with Jezebel and all these prophets and all this kind of stuff. And God calls him and he's gonna have this challenge um, against these prophets of Baal. And so he tells him, build yourself an altar, slaughter a bull on it, then have your God light the fire and burn up this offering. So of course the prophets of Baal do all that kind of stuff um, and, and they're, they're trying to get things to go. And of course, things don't. And so Elijah starts to taunt them, you know, start to call, you know, make fun of them and you know, all that kind of stuff, you know. And so we'll start First uh, Kings chapter 18, verse 27. It says, and at noon, Elijah ridiculed them and said, call out with a loud voice, since he is a God, undoubtedly he is attending to business or is on the way or is on a journey, perhaps is asleep and will awaken. <laughs> So Elijah's just having a fun. But if you realize what he's talking in there, all the things that he's talking about there don't apply to our God. Our God doesn't have to go on a journey to be somewhere. He is already here, right? Um, He doesn't sleep. He is always with us. And so, of course, we know how this ends. They can't get it going. So Elijah says, okay, let me demonstrate how this works. Rebuilds the altar, slaughters the bull, and actually covers it multiple times with water. Then he calls on God, and of course God, poof, consumes the sacrifice. Um, and so we read in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36, then at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Elijah said, hey, here is the guy that's in charge, and I'm going to do what he said. And of course, boom, fire comes down, everything goes good, unless you're a prophet of Baal, because they all get slaughtered. Uh, Jezebel gets away, but she gets hers inevitably. Um, so anyway, it's a great, great read. If the, um, the history books, I, I really enjoy it. There's a lot of interesting stuff that goes on there. But anyway, Elijah knew that God was God. He was the source, and therefore he put his faith in God, even though, again, it was very dangerous. Everybody, I mean, there was a lot of folks looking around trying to kill him, um, and yet, you know, he made it. Um, and the same thing was true with Ezra and Nehemiah. When they were building the wall, it wasn't like, okay, everything's nice and sunny, and everything's good. They were being attacked. They were being you know, names, they actually, they actually had to work with one hand and carry a sword with the other so they could be prepared to defend themselves. So it's not like it was an easy road. They just knew God had this. 
And, th- and again, there's a great section, I think we looked at Nehemiah a few years ago, that whole process of putting your faith in God. God says he's going to let you rebuild this, then he's going to let me rebuild it. And whatever happens, happens, but God's got this. Um, you know, I really believe, like I said, God's driving the bus. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen in my life because I'm not in charge of it. It'd be really scary if I was, right? So, um, again, they're not out of danger. Enemies are still there, but God is with them and protects them. Um, now, there's an interesting verse um, in verse 5 where it talks about that God shades their right hand. Now, for us, we kind of lost context. But for them, your right hand was the hand you did everything with. And so by shading, God's protecting their right hand, which is their hand that they do stuff with, right? I mean, most people are right-handed. Um, and in old times, not being right-handed was a big deal, right? You needed to be right-handed. In fact, my parents, my brother was left-handed, and I was left-handed. My parents said, oh, no, we're not going to let you be left-handed, and they made me be right-handed. So now I'm ambidextrous. Uh, but the, um, yeah, which is interesting, but the, um, it always confuses people because I can bat from either side. The, um, but um, anyway, off topic. The, um, <laughs> the point here is that, that I just, it's kind of a cool picture that God is shading the right hand, protecting the right hand, because that's the hand they need to, to get stuff done. Um, all right. So the other thing that we write, our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, of Jesus, and of us. He is the God who has always been, is, and always will be right? The I am. Um, He doesn't sleep. He's always with us. We can call on him at any time, in any place. He doesn't rest. Um, All right, verses um, six through eight. The sun will not be down on you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard you going out and your coming in from this time and forever. Once again, Yahweh is translated as Lord. Um, And we see again this repetition, this repeated forms of safeguarding, right? Um, He protects, he keeps, he guards. Um, And again, the personal you and your. Um, And again, it's interesting here too, the reference, uh, this is at least what um, the the stuff that I read suggested, the, the reference here to the sun and moon carry pagan references because there were sun gods and moon gods, and there was a fear that the, if you were a pagan, that the sun god and the moon god could do things to you, right? Um, and so the, um, the term to be moonstruck um, actually refers to a person that is mentally unbalanced, romantically sentimental, or lost in fantasy or reverie. And if you remember, again, the pagan behaviors, they did all sorts of weird stuff at night from potions and all this sort of stuff. They just kind of went off the deep end. And, and so the, God will protect us from that, right? He's not going to let us get lost like that. Um, because our eyes are on God. They're not on the sun or the moon or anything associated with that. He protects us from all evil. He will keep our soul. Uh, and that going out and coming in is kind of a neat dimension so the idea, again, is one of, of, of temporalness and of eternalness in the sense that um, when we go to work and we come home, when we go out to do something and we come back, every departure and every arrival is protected by God. When we are born all the way till when we die, again, the coming out, the going in, we're protected over that whole time. Um, 
And the going out was Israel going into captivity in Babylon in 587 B.C. and coming home to Jerusalem in 445. So it's both the great things of history and the little things that happen in our life every day that God's there for. Um, and it's interesting because I listen to people, well, I've never experienced this miracle. I'm like, you need to open your eyes. It's around you all the time. Um, so anyway, I titled this message, My Strength in My Song. Uh, and again, obviously, we're in the Psalms, and Psalms is about singing. Um, but the reason I did that is because the Lord is my strength, and I will sing songs of praise because I know that even when I'm struggling, He is there. And there's two songs that have been really powerful for me. We sang one of them already. We're going to sing the other one here in just a moment. Um, and as most of you know, I'm not a very good singer. Um, you know, people will say, well, what key did you sing that in? And I'm like, I sing it in the key of off. Um, you know? <laughs> so I just, you know, I wish I was a good singer. But there is one place where I get to be a good singer, where I get to be a singer. But the, um, my truck, our truck, I'm sorry, our truck. Um, <laughs> I drive it most of the time. But, the, uh, but it takes me between 30 and 50 minutes to get from my house to my job. And I listen to Christian radio. And I sing in the car. And there's some really good things about that. A, I can sing as loud as I want. And two, I'm not going to offend anybody. They can't hear me. But the cool part of that, if you read in Scripture, it says when you sing to the Lord, it's a sweet sound to God. So I've got to figure there's some sort of real cholesterol, uh, uh, what's the word for it, uh, celestial filter that takes my terrible voice and translates it into something that's beautiful for the Lord. But I love to sing to the Lord. Um, and I don't care how bad your day is going. If you sing 30, 40 minutes on your way to work and sing 30, 40 minutes on my back, it's going to be a good day. I mean, it is. You just feel wonderful about it. Music is such a powerful thing. And so that song reminds me of this. I will lift my eyes to the maker of the mountains that I can't climb. I will lift my eyes to the calmer of the oceans raging wild. When things are going in your life and there's just, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? That's all right. We have a God who calms the oceans. I lift my eyes to the healer of the hurt I hold inside. Many of us have been through very difficult times, whether it's health or family or whatever. But that's all right. God can heal us. God is the healer. I lift my eyes. I lift my eyes. I lift my eyes to you. And whatever is still before, I know God will be there. Carrying me, protecting me, giving me strength. His grace and mercy are beyond measure and his power without limit. I'm going to close in prayer in a minute and then we're going to sing this song. I want you to listen to the words of this song. And I'll try not to cry, Dennis. The, uh, <laughs> it's an amazing song. And uh, I just hope, you know, like I said, it's just really it's an amazing song. Lord, we are just so grateful for all that you do. We are so grateful that you are always there. We are so grateful that we can rest in your arms, um, that you will carry us, that you will hold us, that you will guide us, that you will give us wisdom, that you love us beyond any measure. Love us so much that your son died for us so that we could have a relationship with you. And Lord, I just pray that everyone here, everyone online, is able to surrender their life to you, Lord, and just bathe in your love and 
mercy and kindness and all that you are. Um, and that when st- difficulties strike, you will be there. And they will reach up and put their eyes on you. Amen.